what happened to your hair? I don't know. I was just playing with it. And then <laughs> it looks like it looks very different. I feel like you're some sort of boy band like from the nineties or something. <laughs> All right, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna roll with it today. We're gonna roll. We're just with it gonna like roll this. with it. We're just gonna. I don't even know. I, I'm trying it. to think of like what it reminds me of, but <sighs> it also makes me just want to shave your head. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? I would love some touch. So, I mean, I would not. I, just, I would be happy to oblige to. Oh my gosh. Contact. Okay, sorry, everyone. Let's I just get we, physical. Yeah, physical. We start off oh, with such strange, ONJ. strange tangents. Um, oh, I know. Welcome How to getting you? juicy. Well, yes. Lots of singing, indeed. it seems like. Um, welcome to juicy. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, today, I just want to jump right into our guest because do. Um, we have an extra juicy um, guest because she comes from the Jewish community. So uh, mm. we don't, you know, we don't have not all of our guests are Jewish. I would say actually the majority of them are not probably about 20%, Um, maybe about 20% are the most. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, But I just want to preface, I guess this particular guest or episode with the fact that you do not need to be Jewish in order to get something out of this. And and with what our guest is, her experiences and what she's gone through and her Mm -hmm. um, accolades and also just, well, really her experience. I mean, I, I feel like, a lot of people can relate more specifically, maybe women. Um, so Leah Lax is her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Leah, I believe she'll be calling in from New York, I think. Okay. Um, and Leah, when she was 15 years old, decided to become a part of the Hasidic community. So um, I'd like her to give her definition of Hasidic Jew because um you know, I mean, I you can go on the internet and, and find out exactly what that means. But basically, it's it is one of the most conservative. I don't know what, what do you want to say. Conservative communities, conservative. Um, Maybe the what? most one of the most observant practices of Judaism. Practices of Judaism, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But the also traditions. like very traditional, very con- very conservative, um, and yeah. very much just sticking to that particular community. So you know, if you've seen. Um, somewhere in your community where there are, you know, those that are wearing the yarmulkes, the the little hats on the back of their heads. And you see, you know, women maybe with long, um, they're wearing usually long black skirts or dresses, and they may even not even realize that the women are actually wearing wigs as well. Um, And for the most part, um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because I'd like her to to explain all this, but Mm -hmm. basically she, she decided to become a part of this community for 30 years and then at the age of 45, I believe, um, decided to leave that community after really realizing how suppressed she was as mm. a human, not just as well as a woman, as a human. Um, basically, she wrote this award-winning book called Uncovered um, or Uncovered How, oh my goodness, it just left the actual, the rest of the book, Uncovered How I Left Hasidic Life and finally came home. Oh, cool. Okay. So another thing is she uh, discovered that she is gay too. Oh, wow. So yeah. And see, and, and the reason why hero is also surprised we, we do, we do research on our guests. We do. Yes. But our our shtick also is that we like to learn from our guests really 
um, in real time as to who they are, because you can do yes. so much research and, you know, then kind of go by a playbook almost of questions that perhaps they're so used to hearing. Mm-hmm. And I think that one, sometimes when you, when you do a lot of research and you start to kind of get all your ducks in a row, um, it becomes a little too structured and that's it's just too not, really, not really us. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, imagine being in a community where, um, especially, and I, again, I'll, I'll talk about women and there's a lot of, a lot of religions and communities out there in the world like this, where it's kind of like, this is your duty. This is your job. You cannot stray from that. You're a woman. Yeah. You have a prearranged marriage. Um, you have children, you cook the meals. You're Oh, and the other thing with this Hasidic community, no internet, no, like, you know, all this for 30 years and denying, you know, who she truly was I actually just um was it's no watching. internet at all like nothing not even- hero oh, did you wow. not know that about yeah nothing no, nothing no no, no contact with um the world in that form wow so um yeah it's it's a really for, for a lack of better word for I guess just because of how we've lived bizarre I mean it's complete like 180 from how we've lived our lives especially as I'm going to put in quotations, Jews, because Hero and I mm-hmm. are very ishy. We're we very, very ishy issue. Jews. It, it's like it's it's kind of like in our DNA, and it's culturally like what's been passed down. With it's our um, we honor our ancestors, our ancestors and right exactly, but we don't practice, you know. No. So now we're going to the complete other side of the spectrum, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. Talking to Leah and her experiences, which were like the complete opposite to that. So, mm-hmm. um, but just imagine like, just speaking from the LGBTQ plus side of things, being in this, in this for 30 years, but mm-hmm. knowing and, and being forced to marry a man having children. Wow. Can yeah. you imagine like, no. and there was, I was just watching something just the last thing I'll say, and I'm, uh, you know, I really just want her to, to take the the reins and go with this, but just, she was saying something about she had this dream and she, how does she put it? Like erotic fantasies in her dream. It was, it was while she was in the community still. And she remembers in the dream that she was having sex with a woman mm-hmm. and she thought like, and I don't want to butcher this or, or um, paraphrase it poorly, but something along the lines of waking up and, and thinking, well, I must've been a man in my dream to have been having sex with a woman. Okay. There's no way that I would have like a woman and a woman. No, no way. Right. And mm-hmm. then just being feeling very guilty about that. So, um, yeah, oh my gosh, I have so many questions, so many questions. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. We'll definitely but, have to dive into where she's comfortable talking. Yeah. About it. So, um, in any case, so this is, I think she's very comfortable. I've, I've seen her, some of her stuff that she, you know, she does a lot of talks and, and just really about empowering other women too. Mm-hmm. um, but what the, what's very current about her is that very shortly, and I'll get this episode out ASAP, in the next couple of weeks, there's actually an opera that has been written about this, her pretty much based on the book, I should say, and, and oh, about her cool. life in New York. Um, so uh, we'll be at... Blah, 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 blah. I'm sure if you just Googled uncovered, if you're in the New York area, um, uncovered opera, but it's actually, oh, here it goes at the city lyric opera Okay. in New York. Yeah. So really quite interesting. I wonder if they'll record that. I'd love to, to see it. 
Yeah. So, so that's, um, yeah, just un- did, now, did you ever watch that series that I recommended to you to watch, but I don't know, excuse me, if you did, I just ate some tortilla sh- chips. Sorry guys. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, unorthodox no, I still on haven't Netflix. Watched it. I okay. still haven't watched it, but okay. I know it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. And that's, you know, I guess the relevancy or for people that perhaps aren't really familiar with this realm, this kind of what we're going to be talking about, you know, there, and I do want to ask her opinion on that particular series and how, um, you know, is it, is it sensationalized? Is it really that, you know, is it, uh, does it make sense and kind of parallel her experience? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it well done, but unorthodox on Netflix, if you haven't watched it basically kind of does summarize or put in a nutshell, you know, what, and follows a woman's journey as to what she experienced in that community. So, Got it. Yeah. So there you go. That was my long-winded um, <laughs> introduction to Leah, who will be popping on pretty soon. Um, yeah. No, I think it was very thorough and concise. Well summarized, especially for folks who might be <laughs> not even more itchy than us, etc. Yeah. So no, that's fantastic. I'm glad that we have the ability to connect with Leah and to learn about her story and where she, what she's been doing, where she wants to go. And yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah, I just yay Rachel. Yay Rachel. <laughs> well, for, for for summarizing, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's just it's so interesting because we have been basically so exposed on the opposite side of internet in our faces, social media obsessed. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna say, yeah, our society is obsessed. Like you know to again other side of the coin so to speak with someone like leah like herself where it was like none of that at all for years i mean i know now um she's been out of the community i think now for 12 or 13 years Mm -hmm. so but one thing i thought of to me it almost is like there's some parallel between it's almost like she was born again sort of or like everything was was new And we've had guests on the show who, um, in the trans community who, you know, basically have been, we're living a certain way and then just realized that's not me. Um, and as they were going through the transition, their transition into them themselves, it's like, well, that also is a rebirth. So I wonder, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very, it's like this, I mean, that's kind of far-fetched, I guess, parallel, but, um, kind of just some of the things she was talking about kind of reminded me of some of our past guests in just completely different sort of scope. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And it's yeah. more than one as well. It's a, it's a couple of different um, kind of revivals. Yeah. Yes. Hi, Hi Leah. Leah. <laughs> How's it going? Well, you guys didn't know, none of us knew when we scheduled this, that you'd be speaking with someone who from Houston tonight. Oh, Really? <laughs> isn't okay. that funny because i it's funny because even just before i said oh she's popping in from new york right and yep. then oh that's so funny um so what's the time where what time is it there it's two hours ahead right where where are you we're in, that's uh, a good question we're in the west coast and on pacific time so two uh six o'clock we're two hours ahead of you it's eight o'clock and it's an hour or it's an inning into the game Yes. I just watched McCullers give up 
four runs, so I didn't Ooh. mind walking away. <laughs> there you go. See, we're and we're Canadian, so I don't even know what game you're talking about. I don't oh, even Major League Baseball. Oh, this is the World Series. Oh, there is the World Series happening. Okay, and the it's Houston just... Astros are playing the World. Oh Series. my gosh! Well, right. thank you for giving us your precious time. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh! If you thank have you to like give me a break from that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're welcome. We're happy to have you. We're so, so, so excited. That's, that's the Houston pitcher. I just watched a Houston pitcher give up four runs. It's like, Ooh. let me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, and it's funny. Okay. We're totally off tangent in a way, but whatever. It doesn't matter. That's just life. Um, <laughs> speaking of, you no, know, because I grew up, um, I was born in Toronto and I was grew up like, you know, the Blue Jays. I mean, we only really have one Canadian. There's only one Canadian major mm-hmm. league team, right? So... <laughs> I am familiar, but <laughs> I know you're from Toronto because you say Toronto, Toronto. Well, we're also, I guess, because of Canadians with our, our little, little accents. That's right. <laughs> they are little accents, especially in the West. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for joining us, Leah. And we've, we've already, we're already recording. So we always like to let our guests know just in case, mm-hmm. you know, I love your background too. Look at that. That's yeah, perfect. We've got a, got a ladder how many how many um stories is that bookshelf well here's the deal i'm <laughs> only four foot eleven. Oh so wow <laughs> when when i put it in the guy who was building it for me said we usually don't do this unless the ceiling's like 12 feet and i said <laughs> look at me <laughs> that is so cute oh my gosh i love i think it just looks cool too. yeah it does it frames it frames it perfectly in the camera yeah. So I was just going to say, we did a little intro to you. I know you have no idea what we said. Um, I don't. You know, was, I know you don't. And it's, you know, it was, it was, you know, it's kind of like what we could glean off of uh, the internet. Um, but we always like to have our guests kind of do their own little intro. Um, and we'll kind of go from there. I know some, some guests are just like, you know, Hey, I'm so-and-so I have a cat, I have a dog, blah, blah, blah. Some go a little bit deeper. It's totally up to you as to where you take it. And we'll mm-hmm. kind of, we'll kind of roll with it. Well, I'll do it if you'll, you do it. Uh, oh, okay. Let's, okay, I like, sure. I like it. Yeah, we okay, actually haven't had that for quite a long time. I love no, it. No, that's okay. great. For sure. Okay. okay. Okay, you go first. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm going to make it, I'm going to make Hero go first because I did a lot of the talking before you popped on. So I'm going to. Okay. I'm putting yes. him in the spotlight. Yes, you definitely catched a lot too. Uh, so I'm Hiro <laughs> Suzaki, Sequel Prince. I am the co-host and co-creator of the Getting Juicy podcast. In addition with my best friend beside me on the left side, Rachel Rosen. Uh, born and raised in Vancouver, BC. Um, proudly identified as autistic, neurodivergent, and also queer, gay uh, my entire uh, life. And I am very passionate about helping others uh, come into their own understanding of who they are and empowering them to be the best version of themselves that they can be. That's very cool. Thank you. That was good. That was good. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, really good. Um, why don't we do you next, Leah? And then we'll pop to me. We'll kind of like split it. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's great. That's great for needing more time. It's not me needing more time. It's just, okay, sure. Yeah, why not? Okay, I have a one more but. I, I, um, I, don't forget, I want to. I don't want to forget to tell you how it is I became an Astros fan because it'll break Hasidic <laughs> stereotypes. Oh, ah, okay. Okay, Love I like that. it. I like Perfect. that. Okay. Perfect. Okay. My name is Leah Lax. I wasn't born Leah. I was born uh, Lisa, 
and uh, mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas. And I was very much a middle continent Texas public school girl raised in a secular Jewish home. Um, and I, I became Hasidic or I joined the Chabad Hasidim at, uh, I started at 15. And by 16, I was really deeply and completely in very much my adolescent rebellion. Um, I also graduated high school at 16 and went off to university and bonded with the, one of the first, um, on campus Hasidic groups that Chabad was running. They're now on universities all over everywhere. Um, and that kind of sealed the deal. Wow. Um, I had an arranged marriage. Uh, I was engaged at 18, married at 19. And, uh, because birth control was not allowed, is not allowed, um, by halacha and, uh, uh, certainly in the stricter interpretation of Chabad. Um, I had seven children in 10 years. Um, but, Within all of that, I put aside and uh, the fact that I'm a lesbian um, and lived a very closeted life all those years. I It sounds so clear, but it wasn't because I grew up in an era when the the media wasn't filled with identities and yeah. that and 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 vocabulary for things right. like. That. And I was, I grew up in a very conservative environment. My family wasn't so conservative, but the world around me was. Um, I didn't have the vocabulary. And when you're young, you don't label things that feel perfectly natural and normal until someone pulls you aside and says, hey, you're gay. You know, this is why you feel that way. But that didn't really happen. Um, I, I uh, didn't, I knew not to act on my feelings, even though my, adolescent diaries are filled with passionate feelings about other girls. Mm. Uh, I was very much socialized to get married and um, the Hasidic world seemed to say, uh, seemed to say, well, you don't really know how to live as a straight girls, but here's a list. You Mm. can follow. Here's a book, Mm. here's a list and you can follow the rules and then you'll be in. I'm also Mm. uh, genderqueer, um, very commonly dream at night. Uh, that I'm various genders. Sometimes I'm male, sometimes I'm female, very often mm. indeterminate. It seems to just come very naturally out of my unconscious. I can say that um, I, inside of me, I still don't get the difference. I just don't. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, to me, it just seems to be sort of an arbitrary body exterior, mm. but people are just people. Um, yeah. And so the other thing that the Hasidic life offered me was a bulleted list on how to be a woman, mm-hmm. how to be specifically a woman. And mm-hmm. as an insecure and ridiculously young person, um, I said, that's great. You gave me a list of instructions. And uh, mm-hmm. that that meant that I, didn't, I wasn't going to feel different anymore. I wasn't right. going to feel marginalized anymore. I wasn't going to be looking at my adolescent peers who were like chains before my eyes, they'd all gone all fluttery, all the girls, and they were fluttering over the boys. And it was like going, I don't even know you anymore. How, why did you change? What, what's going on? Instead, so I always felt like on the margins. And yes. instead, I could follow the rules and be like everybody else and be mainstream and accepted. It was incredibly enticing. I had a Isn't lot that- of reasons too, but. That's Isn't that interesting? It's so interesting to hear that because, and we've talked to other guests about this before too, that um, at that time 
in in the world or not in the world but in in north america i guess like i could say is it's like you always we always kind of wanted to aspire to be normal like or not normal but but just um not to not to be majority and not and not to be um labeled as different we didn't want to be different or and that was like a like you know oh my gosh like do whatever you can do not to be different but now it's like flipped Mm -hmm. it's completely flipped and the reason and i'm because i for example i have um a couple of friends that are school teachers for little for elementary school kids and it's almost like they were saying some of the kids almost feel bad if they if they don't have something that's different now like they want to be a different name or a different something this day or the next day, because otherwise, otherwise it's not interesting. And the kids, it's, it's like completely flipped on its head. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, just an observation. It's very fascinating. So mm-hmm. it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Well absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of questions I have, Leah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's Leah, right? Leia. Okay. okay. And it's funny because I was I was um watching an interview with you and I think I was like, how do you pronounce her name? And then I think the person said Leah. So I'm like, it must be Leah. My middle name is Leah and it's spelled the same. Oh. So I figured I figured it was, but I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> and your first name is so your- Rachel. It is Rachel. Rachel. Okay. Yeah. So what's interesting, I think about, and I'll I'll introduce myself now actually, because um it's interesting because, okay, I'll just say I'm Rachel Leah Rosen. It's a very Jewish sounding name for sure. <laughs> um, but what I think is interesting that is that um, even though it sounds very Jewish, I was not brought up that Jewish really. So um, I would call myself a pretty ishy Jew. I have, I come from grandparents that were Holocaust survivors. So I am um, a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Um, I was born in Toronto, but I moved to Vancouver, British Columbia when I was quite uh, little. And um, pretty much my entire adult adult life, I've been dealing with mental health challenges, um, predominantly um, generalized anxiety disorder and depression. And um, it's taken me this many years to also realize that there are intergenerational traumas that have happened through um, grandparents predominantly that do affect my mental health. And I'm only just now kind of diving into not necessarily what's happened to me directly, but what's happened to family members that might have therefore affected me. So whether it be how my dad was raised and then how he ended up raising me because of, you know, um, kind of the outward world in that sense, or genetically speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, for me, this podcast is a way to hopefully dive into those things and also just give people a voice that are also, um, dealing with mental health challenges in any way, shape or form, and just kind of to erase that stigma eventually, which I feel like we're starting to do finally after all these years. So, yeah. Tell me how long we have. Oh, no problem. We have, we have, I mean, as I, long- can, I can do a deep dive into anything. You do. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Well, we, I, mean, I have until about, ahead. I have about until 20 after seven. So 20 seven after ish. nine yeah, I mean, on your part. Uh, okay. We're good. <laughs> um, we're pretty what good. Talk- we're pretty good. What you're talking about is something I, I go into very deeply in my next book that's coming oh, out. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Amazing. 
um, uh, that whole issue of intergenerational trauma as Jews in North America is very new and very fresh. And in other words, mm-hmm. very raw and powerful for mm-hmm. all of us. I mean, look at all of the people that are descended from Native Americans who were, were you know, who are deeply, deeply ta- traumatized, or all of the people who are descended from uh, from Native Africans who were right. yes so horrendously treated or you can say the people that are descended from further generations who were, you know, enslaved or or tortured. Um, it's still many more generations for them mm-hmm. than it is for us. Um, and you, we, we, but we have more objective. We understand that not only is the society still holding that trauma and reenacting it, but the people, the individuals very much are also. Mm-hmm. So we have a long, I think we have a very long way to go. Um, yeah. I, I can tell you, I mean, all four of my grand, grandparents were refugees before there was a term refugee, which really came into wow. play in the general media and came, became official in 1951 when the UN established refugee as an actual status. Mm-hmm. Okay. The terms. Mm-hmm. My grandparents were of the that, that generation that came here um, before World War One. Um, oh, wow escaping pogroms and and just the absolutely tremendously horrible treatment of Jews in Eastern Europe. I mean, we were, we, you understand that. I mean, I, no one told me as a child how bad the treatment of Jews was in East, in Europe. Yeah. If you just even look at a list of how, of how many times Jews were expelled from different towns across Europe. Oh yeah. This goes on for pages and pages and pages. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But then when you see the overlap, for example, uh, uh, crimes against Jews weren't prosecuted. Um, um, mm. It was very common to kidnap and to rape um, from the Jewish community when uh, it was very common for for uh, uh, principalities to stand up armies and march them to war and let, and say just you know, let them just attack Jewish communities and take provisions and whatever they need, needed along the way. That way they didn't have to provision them. And so you know, groups would march through and suddenly attack and destroy everything and rape the women and kill people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was this was Jewish life. Mm-hmm. And it would get better for a while and it would get worse. It would get better than everybody would be would be banished. And, you know, then they'd come back. It was common for Jews to be taxed 30 and 40 percent more, 30 and 40 percent of like everything they owned and or more. I mean, or, or sudden a sudden tax because the. Yeah. I mean, this goes on and on. We know. This. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know, my family escaped from there. Like, I, I also want to point out that when I was growing up, there were still satellite um Ancient communities, pockets of Jews, all over Europe and North Africa and the Middle East. Right. Very, very old. Thousands. Wow. Wow. Little by little, it's been. It it, it was gradual, and it started with the establishment of the state of Israel. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kicked in an official state's anti-Semitism in so many places. They're all gone. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, not all of them, but almost all of them today, half of the Jews in the world live in North America. Wow. Wow. I don't know if I knew that statistic. No, I didn't. Yeah, know that I didn't either. know that. No. It, wow. It, it's enormous. And another thing that's unbelievable is that most of those, most of the Jews in North America came from a swath in Eastern Europe 
that is only about a hundred yeah. miles wide. Um, yeah, that is that's oh, true. Yeah, it, it covers uh, the borders. It's all border territory of Belarus, Lithuania, Ukraine. Yeah, right. Russia, um, Poland. And Poland. Yeah. 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 Right. And so my grandmother was from Lithuania and my grandfather was from Poland. So even mentioning that kind of span of different countries within or cities in within Europe, uh, even just says a lot of as well. So and when you think about how Jews it's not only that Jews were careful, careful where they were demanding that they only marry one another because they were always, <laughs> always obsessed with Jewish survival. But mm. then Around them didn't allow anybody. It was a crime to marry a Jew, just like it was a crime for white people to marry black people. Black people, yeah. You're oh, from wow. Lithuania too. My grandparents are from Lithuania. At some level, we're probably related. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, just because of relevance and who knows how small the world is. Uh, my grandmother, her name was Ruta or Ruth uh, Crone, Ruth Siegel Crone. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know how much that name <laughs> has gotten to North America, but there's a book from an author that we had the author on our show earlier last year, or maybe this year. Um, and so she did a lot of Holocaust archival work for her story and capturing that. So it's interesting, again, when you're talking about, as you say, you're an author, you're a writer, and we understand that you have some other created creations from your stories that are coming out to the general public, which is super exciting. So as you continue to open up and kind of walk us through your journey um, from the early days to now, I'm excited to learn about that at all. Um, and I brought that up to say, I think that in my background was a big part of what made me, when I chose an adolescent rebellion, go there. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, what what drew you to because because I just from what you're not necessarily saying, I feel like your parents didn't did they were you influenced by your parents to make that decision at all? No, I mean just to rebel against it perhaps. But Our, my background, my upbringing is very much like yours. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's so, so interesting. I grew up with the sense of who are we? <laughs> Yes, yes, me too. Yes. I mean, my my yeah. grandparents were like social players. You know, it was like they were posturing. They were walking the walk and talking the talk like new immigrants do are anxious to fit in yes, and survive right. and succeed. And, you know, I was like, but who are we really? And the Hasidim <laughs> were saying, we are a, an embodiment. We are a recreation of everything that was lost. The Holocaust is a huge part behind the enormous growth of the Hasidic movement in, in North America. And then they right. went out back in the world. But Chabad was all about repopulating the Jewish people, you know, redeveloping right. the Jewish people and keeping it what they consider to be authentic. And I, I, they said, we know who you are. We'll tell you who you are. Just follow this list. It'll be mm -hmm. kissed by God. You will be surrounded mm -hmm. by a loving, supportive community. You won't mm -hmm. feel marginalized. And you will have a very clear identity. And I was very young. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, religion is enormous. At, at what point did you have like a twinge of like, something doesn't feel right? Or like, I... Was it like, and, and how, and how long did you suppress that for? Or did it like, were you kind of just following blindly for quite a long time? Or I shouldn't, I mean, maybe that, maybe it wasn't blindly. That's kind of putting words in your mouth, but. I, there were always twinges. Okay. About twinges of, wait, I don't get this. Meaning, wait, okay. I, I agree with the wait, the wait, the, something isn't clicking right. I would just try harder to fit in. Oh, right. Wait. 
you know, yeah. it would drive me further in, which is very foolish, but I was, a, you know, no, all teenagers are fools. So. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Before we go further, I want yes. to leap here and say, hello, my name is Leah Lax and I'm also a librettist because this story that we're starting to go into. Yes. A great part of what saved my life was when I couldn't sleep at night, when I developed insomnia over over these conflicts that we're starting to touch on. I would stay up at night and write, and I developed as an artist, just like my mother, who was a very fine artist. She put it in me. Uh, Art saved my life. Become Developing it as an artist made me say, I have to allow all those crazy spontaneous thoughts to happen, not suppress them, not push them mm-hmm. away. And mm-hmm. I can make something beautiful with them. And the more I did that, the more I like popped into three dimensions. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, eventually I started working with other, with composers. And, and when I came out with my, uh, and I write, I write the words and the composer set them to music. And I had some pretty good success with that, which That's you can ask me about. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> but when my memoir uncovered came out that, uh, the fabulous, marvelous, amazing composer Lori Leitman, who's like world known for setting, especially for 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 uh, songs that she she does classic songs, and she's she's like super famous for the way she sets words to music. But she makes the sound and the rhythm of the words become the music. It's, I can't explain uh, it. You have to listen. But when you hear Lori's music sung, you clearly hear every single word and feel every word. Oh my gosh. He read my memoir and got in touch with me and uh we met up and mm. he asked me if I would consider writing an opera based on, on my memoir. And at that point mm. I kind of knew how. So we wow. embarked yeah. on it. Um it, it it languished a bit until lockdown. Um and with everything canceled, um is that right? Or did it happen? Yeah. Lori finished out all the music during that time. It was so, wow. so amazing. Right. And, um, wow. and, and here we are. And then, and then again, the pandemic postponed things because even though it was later, it was still not safe to perform. And our performance yeah. wound up being um, uh, postponed by two years. So wow. it was, the opera called Uncovered, directed by the unbelievably brilliant Beth Greenberg. We are three Jewish women that created this thing. So Beth, cool. stage director, uh, the director uh, at New York City Opera for 23 years. We're talking about wow. the world. Holy moly. Wow. And uh, that's is that that's premiering this month, correct? Premiering in two weeks. Wow. exciting. Oh, my gosh. So you must be jetting over there, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> center in Manhattan. So like, oh, that's- and the company that's pr- that's uh, producing is called City Lyric Opera, and it's yes. like Lori. Lori loves them, and I had not heard of them. They're small. They're wonderful. They're very, very high production qualities. Their music is great. It was founded by women. It is run by women, and it is wow. all about affordable opera. And and new and very real stories. So it was like the perfect thing. <laughs> so look Some, it up. Lyric Opera. The director and the 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 brainchild behind it is Megan Gillis, the CEO. Wow. That's oh, it just makes me wish we lived we lived closer. We have so many amazing guests on, and I just we never we don't usually get the opportunity to actually see 
um, our guests in action, so to speak. So I'm, yeah. Is that, is it going to be recorded? Yes. Do you think? So- okay. Okay. I'm like, maybe we'll get to come and perform it in Toronto. Like this is the professional debut, but we, you know, yes. we hope it'll happen all over. So I could see it being actually very well received in Vancouver. Vancouver has a very tight knit Jewish community. Um, that's a bit spread out, but there are a lot of people that would probably be interested in engaging with your production and your story. I could only imagine Toronto, of course, but Vancouver mm-hmm. as well. Vancouver, uh, I adore Vancouver and it's gorgeous. So like, let's do this. Well, fantastic. If I had any connections, I would definitely think about it for you. I don't know any. I might know, actually, interest, interestingly Rachel, enough, my, may, yeah. Rachel has a lot more background <laughs> in musical theater because her parents are um, musical theater parents. So she might have some, the, yeah, like through the Stanley Theater maybe. Growing up, yeah, my, my that's another, yeah. I'm Rachel Rosa and I come from parents that were musical theater performers. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And, and my mom's uh, partner, actually her current partner for many years now, he's an opera singer and he actually, oh. um, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's retired now, but he's uh, yeah. So there's definitely, there's a potential community there that I'm, yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting. That's how cool is this? Yeah. yeah very cool. I know. I can't, I can't tell you it's easy. I mean, I, I wrote the opera like something that's occurring in memory. I mean, I had to say, I can't base this on my memoir or it'll be like derivative. I had to right. bring it away and create a whole new work that loosely follows the story that follows the story, but it had to be created from the outset as, yeah. as musical theater. As right. The opera. Right. So it kind of occurs in memory and sometimes it moves around in time. And sometimes the the voice of the chorus, I used to be the voice in Leia's head. Wow. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a, this one line from a character called Mother, My Mother. <laughs> uh. Because she was, at the time that I got married, she was big into the new feminist. She's a very wonderful artist. She believed I was an artist. She was big mm. into the, the new way. Wow feminism very yes and she had grown up quite hampered by a society that you know for example people forget this an example women could not get credits in their own name until i don't know when but it was the 1970s it was till i was an adult oh wow i yeah oh my gosh you know, you were you were Mrs. So and So, and you were Mrs. Followed by your husband's name. You yes, get a credit card. You couldn't buy a car. You couldn't sign a lease. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, you can imagine how tied down that was. So she was thrilled with the freedom um, that was that was she hoped would be coming. So she said to me, she said sings to me as she puts the veil over my head for the wedding. It's a news world for women. You can do and be so very much more. And wow. throughout the rest of the opera, every time the character called Leia faces a challenge for which she doesn't have the vocabulary or the, the the support or the place to make a decision that she doesn't know how to make, the the voice of the mother's there going, it's a new world for women, and it's her voice. Hmm. And then she steps forward. Because I have never seen another opera approach abortion but there's an abortion in this story okay so that's something i was going to mention i mean just what's been happening in the states lately as we all as the whole world knows um practically what would you say to you know you just saying it's a new world for women what would you say to women now 
living with, with what they're living with? Is, is there a message that you would um, pass on to them or? Remember I'm in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So this has yes. been going on for a long time. Yes. Yes. Back yes. To, you know, years now. Back to yeah. started the whole, whole fight over um, women's health care clinics all over the country that had uh, government uh, uh, funding that mm-hmm. provided health care to women and and nearly free um, uh, um, uh, birth control and mm-hmm. get their pap smears and things like that. Mm-hmm. The, the the Republicans decide, decided to label abortion clinics. This is what you might have heard of, you know, when they were screaming about abortion clinics. Even everybody, it, it became so ubiquitous that everybody began to call them that. That mm. it, it was just a tiny bit of the the gen- woman's health clinic, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were every single one of them, even then, was shut down in in uh, in Texas. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, long before the state managed to outlaw for everybody. Mm-hmm. What would I say to these women? Um, I'd say, get in my car. I'll drive you into the next day. You know, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are still places where they can go, but it's mm-hmm. so so difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. I so, do want to. I do want to just interject and say one reason why I'm being more of an observer and a listener is because I feel that's appropriate in terms of what's being discussed and. And I have a lot to learn and understand about all the subjects that you were just discussing. So uh, just in case that people are wondering why I'm not speaking or it might be more dominant by Rachel, I just want to be an observer and really learn and soak in. I'll interject if necessary. As a guy, right? Yeah. Imagine yourself in that situation. Imagine. Let's go back to the religious world. Okay, let's go uncovered. Imagine yourself female in a female body and imagine you're you're in a situation where you don't make decisions over your body where you're told everywhere you turn your body belongs to god where you're told this applies to women and men your body belongs to god you follow the laws in jewish law that keep your body holy your body is a temple for god and the way you keep it holy is by following these rules except that it sort of happens that 95% 95% of the rules apply to you and you know 5% of them apply to the other gender. Just imagine mm-hmm. you're in a female body. I I it women become so inured to that that they really believe it and wouldn't wouldn't imagine wouldn't imagine making such a decision but when I became pregnant with my eighth child. Wow. Um and my seventh child was just I don't remember two or three months old mm-hmm. and he was born premature. Mm-hmm. I'm high, high maintenance. And my sixth child was uh, under a year and all of the children, the oldest of all of them was nine years old. Wow. Um, yeah. Or was he 10? No, was 10 years old. I had, I had seven children in 10 years. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, my husband had to work very, very long hours and we were still, you can imagine how expensive that is. Um, I was quite, quite depleted, exhausted. I'd had that premature, that baby prematurely because my body couldn't handle the pregnancy anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And then I found I was pregnant again. Wow. Now, I was at that point very much devoted to the life I had trained myself to be. I mean, yeah, I, I still embrace a lot of the general values that I took away from Hasidic life and I treasure them. I, it, it it strengthened my the experience strengthening my Jewish identity very greatly, mm-hmm. but at that point also you know I was living in a community where you have to um, be perceived as someone who follows the rules very closely. Mm-hmm. It will affect your social status, which will affect your children. Right. And so I worked on myself to like remind myself to have faith and to believe and to follow the rules carefully. And it was in this situation, exhausted, threatened, newly pregnant, but yet consciously working on myself all the time to be that that good religious Jewish woman and wife, uh, and Hasidic woman and wife, that my I felt I was experiencing a body scream, a, mm. something that went beyond anything I could think or talk myself out of. I walked in circles around the house all night, day after day. I couldn't think. I couldn't talk. My body was screaming, get it out. Get yeah. it out. Yeah. I, felt, I felt that this would kill me. And I didn't wow. have to. I, it's not like I had a heart condition or anything where a doctor went would say, yeah, now or you'll die. You won't even survive the. Yeah. I'm going to say that. Your brain finally connected with your your brain and body. Just your brain was telling your body, no. It was real. And now, now we know how much is connected to our brains and our bodies, but we didn't really understand it back then, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say my body was telling my brain. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um yeah. Un, unreal. Yeah. And I I'm curious to know. Um what would have been the like if you didn't follow a rule for example how would you be treated or what was the the effect of that there's the cause the cause and effect like what what would have happened um i mean it it wasn't it wasn't super dramatic okay just individually it was scary yes so it depends on how 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 bad the rule Right. The weight of the rule. Like if it was like abortion, which would be equal to like publicly breaking the Sabbath or walking right into a non-kosher restaurant in the daytime. And, you know, those three would all be about on the same level. Mm -hmm. Um, It would have an immediate and powerful effect on my social standing. I'd probably lose my job, which was being a teacher in the Jewish school. My friends instantly said they can no longer eat in my home and would not allow their children come to come play with in my home because wow. they couldn't be there and there'd be a lot of gossip right and we were very much afraid of gossip um, right if nobody would marry my children that's always your fear they wouldn't huh. have a future um the, i wrote a scene in the when laura Leitman asked me to write this opera i i went home thought about it sketch it out because this book, I'm going to show you the book. Here's the book. <laughs> is uh what three hundred around three hundred and forty pages. It has dozens of scenes. Yes, and I get four or five scenes. That's it. And the book had I don't know a hundred thousand words. A libretto, <laughs> it's three thousand. Like I had to 
Oh, wow. Uh, like yeah. a sculpture, you know, you get this big block of stone and Michelangelo used to say, well, all I do is take away the extraneous stone and the, and the sculpture's hiding inside. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to do that, but I'm no Michelangelo. No Michelangelo so. <laughs> right. um, I had, I, I sat down and wrote out what scenes I absolutely, without which I wouldn't be here talking to you. That yes. My goal. And this was a key one. And so the Christ, I called Lori and said, Lori, there's going to be a lot of opera companies that won't touch this because I can't write it without the abortion. And she did never hesitated for a moment. She said, go for it. So the crisis point in the sea, in the, in the opera is the abortion. And the crisis point of that is the opening song of the character we call older Leah, who her song is called get it out. Oh my gosh. Wow. And you see wow. it evolve. It didn't get it out, get it out, get it out. I mean, it's just stop. Wow. It's and but what happens in the opera is that the voices around her layer. I mean, there is a confrontation with the husband, and he's he he loses it and he says, I'll have to divorce you. And it's very dramatic. But there's this background stuff going on that I get to do on stage that I can't do. Like when I write, I can only write one voice at a time. Yeah. I can build all the layers. So there's the voice of the community singing very serenely and beautifully, angelically, your body, your body belongs to God. You know, a beautiful oh, my soul has come into the world and she's going to get it out against that. The- oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. That sounds incredible incredibly powerful i can't even i I really i yeah i really hope i can't oh i can't even i can't believe i haven't even read your book yet so we were just introduced to you not that long ago i didn't have time to read your book but i'm going to read your book um but speaking when we finish you'll text me your mailing address and i'll send you a copy oh my oh my god God, that would be would you sign it for me too That would be amazing. Thank you. But that's speaking- what I wanted to say to you. It's Kiros, right? Did I say it right? Oh, Hero. But yeah, I like that name though. Kiros. Oh. It's very oh, awesome. No, it's Hero. I didn't hear you. Spell it. H-I-I-R-O. Hero. Okay. That's what I wanted to say to you, Hero, is imagine being in a place where mm. you could not make a very private decision that affected nobody else in the world about your body. I can't imagine. As I simple can. as getting a tattoo to mm-hmm. as many- Getting a bashectomy, where somebody mm-hmm. says, no, God will not allow you to do that. Not your choice. That's uh, yeah, I, I can't. And my stomach turns and my gut wrenches hearing all these. Uh, my anecdotes. palms are sweaty. Like it's just, it's seriously. Um, but it's this role, which is also is. important because people yeah. respond really powerfully to trauma. And therefore, the viscera that comes from trauma and the bonding that comes from trauma bonding. So there is a time and a place and there is an appropriation, not appropriation, there's an appropriate space and place to use powerful storytelling, provocative storytelling to make an impact for the better. So the fact that you Mm -hmm. have been provided, not just with your talent and your skill set of being a creator and being an artist, finding the right people to provide you the platform and the venues to translate that message into the greater um, public that's really powerful because not everybody gets that opportunity and there needs to be much more representation for anybody who might be dealing with that in a multi-marginalization or multi-sense of creed. And you are proving that is happening and let alone in the city of Manhattan, which is 
huge in terms of exposure. So I'm very mm. um, thankful that you have been provided those mm-hmm. blessings, including being a you know successful published author and then being a, an opera writer. I mean, that that's really incredible. And I'm very sorry and cannot relate to anything you just said for the most part. But one thing I am very curious to learn more about, if you feel inclined to share, is about your sexuality. And in terms of you being so firmly identified with it from early on, suppressing it, and when was the time in your life that you chose to say, I am going to make this conscious decision and I'm willing to embrace whatever comes from it? Meaning acknowledging yourself, identifying it, and choosing to live a lifestyle that supports exactly who you are today. It's so interesting that you say that because it's directly related to the abortion. Okay. Huh. Okay. As a woman, I was saying, well, I have obligations, more obligations to others than to myself, to my children, to my husband, to my community, to God. My feelings don't matter that much. Mm-hmm. And I suffered um, mental health issues, anxiety, and, uh, and, and, and uh, insomnia. Mm. And the insomnia turned out to be a good thing because when I suffered that much from it, I would I started to write and I I did a, mm. I basically taught myself to write in those hours of the night when I couldn't sleep when it was mm. quiet. Mm. Uh, it's also writing made me explore my feelings and my thoughts, and that was an expression for that anxiety and for those conflicts in me. Um, and it helped me. It helped me mentally. Um, but it didn't change the fact for a long time that in the daytime I was still suppressing my feelings right. and and uh, trying to behave, to do what others expected of me, and too tired and too numb to act on anything until the abortion. In other words, until I had to, until my body screamed at me, huh. until it was a threat to my health, to my very mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm going to quickly finish the abortion story and show you how it connected. Sure. Um, I, I was, it, it was a turning point in my life because for the first time I said, I will own my body. I will make this decision because it's not a clear threat. It's just something I know in my gut. I know in my being. And I very secretly admitted to myself that the baby, new baby might not, might not kill me after all, but it would kill my soul. That I would I would be a shell, and I I wouldn't be able to mother the other children that I loved very 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 much that I existed for. I wouldn't be able to care for myself either. Yeah. Um, so I made this decision that I was going to have the abortion. I was going to get it no matter what. Mm-hmm. I made that decision first. Mm-hmm. Then I went to my husband and told him. And um, got the idea, and he his reaction was very powerful. He 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 yelled, he cried, he yelled. He said, "I you know that's murder." He jumped up. He said, "You would kill one of our children. I'll have to divorce you." But you know something? He's basically a good guy. He is a good guy. Mm. He started to cry, and he said, "No, I I don't want to hurt you. I I I, I don't know." And then I realized, you know, the best thing for both of us would be to ask a rabbi, mm-hmm. which was what we were all trained to do. We were required by Jewish law because your body doesn't belong to yourself. It's an act right. of Jewish law. The rabbi was the voice of Jewish law. Mm. And secretly, you know, I said to myself, we'll do this. And if the rabbi says, no, nope, I'm going to do it anyway. But, you mm-hmm. know, this way I wouldn't have to, 
I, I wouldn't have to risk the complete destruction of my marriage and family right. um, or the possibility of losing my children. Um, hmm. But we did ask that rabbi. And the rabbi uh, said, I have to talk to your doctor. Well, don't you know, I got with that doctor and I told her, I said, the rabbi is going to call you and you have to know that only a threat to my life will really clinch the deal. Mm. The doctor said, I can't prove that. I'm a doctor. And I'm, I, I'll only tell him the truth. And I was like, that'll have to do. Yeah. So I held my breath, knowing what I would do if the answer was no. But I still went this route. Mm. The rabbi called us, called us, got the two of us on the phone and uh, uh, and said, you have to do this. Because unlike American law, unlike Christian, uh, uh, the people who think it's Christian law, Christian uh, values, Jewish law, even at its strictest, provides for abortion. If it's a serious threat, even to the health of the mother, it doesn't have to be life or, or death. They take the wow. value of life and death mean to mean something that could seriously harm and possibly permanently harm the mother. Hmm. That right. was enough for this very strict Hasidic rabbi to say, no, you have to do this. Wow. He also knew the community. He knew their prejudices. He knew the ignorance of some. He knew the kinds of the kinds of uh, of um, forces that can be unleashed, like are unleashed in my country today. And he said, mm. but do not tell anybody. Mm. No one must know. Mm. Well, my husband took that as a, um, he took it literally, mm-hmm. and he grieved very deeply for the lost child. Mm-hmm. He didn't hold it against me because the rabbi said, but he wouldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And this became a great gap between us. Mm-hmm. And in that gap, in that silence, I was left with someone who had woken up. I was going to take control and ownership of my body, and I would never give that up again, mm-hmm. ever. And once I had that that change in consciousness, that awareness, that power, that ownership, I began to come. I, the next step quite clearly in my mind was not intellectual. It just was awareness it's that all these feelings came welling up. I had I had always dealt with, for example, erotic lesbian dreams that I denied in the daytime. I could not deny them anymore. I lived in my body and my body was me. That's what the abortion changed. That's what the abortion woke up in me. So one led directly to the other. And in time, I allowed myself to uh, fall in love. I I had an affair with a woman, which is in the opera. In the community, sorry, in the community. No, no, I didn't, I was going to say, <laughs> and, oh, and, no. and just one quick question um, as well. How, how long had you been in the community just before that this all happened? So how long were you in the community when you got the abortion? How long had it been? 20, 30. Yeah. Um, let me think about that. Um. Maybe 13, 14. No, in the community or married? In the community. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, close to 20 years. Close to 20 years. Okay. Just trying to put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
into my 30s. Yes. Um, and it was still a long time before I left. Yeah, that's and that's kind of what I was trying to put a timeline too. So that's what I find kind of interesting too. So um yeah. So then so you said you had it you had an affair with a woman that was not in the community. That's right. She didn't live that far away. I yep. had no, and I actually pursued it. I actually wow. was going to allow myself this. I may never get to leave here. I have children. I knew mm-hmm. I could lose my children if I left but I mm-hmm. am going to allow myself this experience. We had a very hot uh, relationship. Wow. I would sneak out in the middle of the night. Wow. <laughs> that That's took- amazing. So here we have, you know, uh, an opera that has both an abortion and a lesbian love affair. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. That's going to be so powerful and totally split people's perspectives in a way that is about about damn time to be honest i hope so can we go light for a minute do you want yes to- please sure yeah sure. yeah i want to know why i'm into baseball <laughs> <laughs> yeah we absolutely. like to we, we like to hop to. all over the all over the place so yes and why are you me, into baseball I, and i love me a set of balls so please <laughs> share me share away <laughs> because i you know i stayed for a number of years after that i was raising of my seven children five boys um oh. and uh uh, the Astrodome, where the the Houston Astros used to play. Sorry about that noise. The Astrodome, where the Houston Astros used to play, uh, was too big. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it drew a very large crowd, it was enormous. And so <laughs> the upper reaches, they would sell for $1 and $5 seats. Whoa. And how many places can you go and take five or six, sometimes mm. six, sometimes a lot of the girls would come along or yeah. even seven kids at a time and afford it. Yeah, that's true. That's incredible. Yeah. I went to many, many baseball games, and all my boys are big Astro fans. Wow. Wow. I I never could figure out why. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's one thing I, sorry, that's one thing I do want to ask about in terms of, again, the sports is a great analogy, a great segue. But what, I mean, getting a sense you have a uh, strong relationship, relationship with all of your children. Um, so they, I'm guessing they must be like early twenties, mid twenties, depending. No, no, no. This, this all happened a, a while back and my children range today from 32 to 42 years old. Okay. Okay. Oh. Probably you're both considerably younger than my youngest child. Well, no, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm almost, almost, oh my God. That's so odd to say I'm almost 31 actually. I'm and so, I'm actually closer to your eldest, believe it or not. I'm 40 okay. in January. <laughs> I can't tell ages very well either. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So in terms of your children, do they also live in Houston then? Like they all live nearby you or no. Um um I, I just want to say I told you that to blow Hasidic stereotypes because I uh, was hanging ah, right. As far as the kids, um my oldest um had his own little crisis of faith and it's in the book uncovered. So I encourage you to read it, but. Oh, I, yes, I will. When he wanted to leave yeshiva and go to college, um, I, I told my husband, we will support him um, because that's the way you keep your children close. Mm-hmm. And uh, to his great credit, my Hasidic hus- husband said, you know, if that's what he's going to do, then yes. And mm-hmm. uh, um, my son went on to college um, mm-hmm. and, pretty much left the religion 
Mm. So he was the oldest and kind of the pioneer. He was the first one ahead of me. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Today, um, my children are divided. Some are religious, some are not. I'm not going to say who's who. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. They're all very close to one another. And um, although my relationship was very rocky with some of them in the beginning, after I left all, I left their father, I left the life that had formed, particularly the religious ones in, right. in every way. That had, um, and, uh, you know, I got, became public about something that they thought should remain very private. Some of mm-hmm. them should remain very private. We had a lot to work through. We haven't worked through all of it with okay. all of them. With most of my kids, um, I, it's unconflicted now, and I'm very, very close. I basically don't give them a choice because I refuse to go away. Yeah. Yeah, I love there that. you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I gave you life. You live your life the one that you want to live, but I gave you life, and I deserve to be in your life, and we will work through whatever we need to work through. And you don't get to choose how I live my life now. No. Yeah. Yes. No. When you're young and you leave home, you, you, you can do it because you feel like at some level that you have an anchor, you know, mom and dad don't leave your room stays your room. Kids always get insulted when mom goes, okay, I took your room and made it into my office. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Fair enough. I went away and uh, I think some of them really felt to drift. I know it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's just, you know, where we are, where we are with some with others. It's just completely unconflicted. And I'm very close. And anyway, I have 13 grandchildren now. Wow. Hey. Podcast. Hey, sorry, say that again. Last As thing of them, it's a Jewish podcast. Yes. Oh my God. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, before I forget, because I maybe you've, you've probably been asked this question before as well, just because there's a bit of a parallel from your story to the Netflix series Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen it, first of all? Absolutely. And what what are your thoughts on on whether how realistic it was on or just what was your it was what was your critique on it? I'm curious to know because I feel like for anyone who is not in the Jewish community whatsoever, they probably are familiar with that series just because of how popular it became. So well, we have to differentiate because I was a member of Lubavitch, the Chabad Hasidim. Okay. A large percentage of our community were people that weren't born and raised that way who had been, you know, basically converted into the Hasidic life. Okay. Majority right. of kind of leaders that were born and raised that had yeshiva education. Now that community is next generation now. So most of the people in the Houston Chabad community today were born and raised that way. Right. Our community was every bit as strict as other Hasidic communities, but more open with the world. Some of them had televisions. We did not because we were stricter. Um, and our rabbis really disapproved of the Lubavitcher Rebbe disapproved of television. But mm-hmm. there were varying levels in terms of media and in terms of um, connection with the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was different. Um, the even then the uh, the the community in Williamsburg, which unorthodox yeah. was uh, not giving any any secular education to the kids not speaking english they were hmm. way more insulated in fact they wouldn't allow their kids to this day people hasidim in the community that deborah feldman's unorthodox is based in where hmm. she was born and raised they don't let their kids marry 
Hasidic kids from uh, Crown Heights, from the Babich. Now, it happens anyway sometimes, but it's not, you know, that's not the norm. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah. you know, they were like the reform among the Hasidim. And um, um, so I can't, I can't, I can't from the inside tell you how authentic unorthodox was. Right, right. I went to Williamsburg many times. I knew people, a, a couple people in my life who lived there or who were of that group. Um, and f- from everything I could tell, and then in addition, I know some people that were involved that, with the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelton. So from everything I've heard as well, it was amazingly authentic. It was. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's the impression I get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, and just if, if, in your experience, um, finally departing from the community, what was that like? What was that experience like? Well, I want to pivot back to the opera for a minute and tell please you. Please do, please, please. Cause that well, because because also because that that's so relevant and we want people to hear about it. So please, yes. So there's 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 this super famous opera. I think it's one of the very most performed in in America called Susanna. Okay. And the opera Susanna has the same story as Scarlet Letter. So there's this super religious okay. community that's totally insulated. A woman has a secret affair with you know with the leader she has a baby and stays but she gets ostracized and you know has to you know has to wear something like the scarlet a and scarlet mm. so that she's she's labeled as a as a fornicator for the rest of her life and but the child grows up like a little angel and then eventually there's a crisis and she basically hounded out of the community that's the story that's the story of, of scarlet letter that's the story of Susanna, but okay. it's been into a more modern time. Um, Lori Laitman had actually written an opera called The Scarlet Letter. There's oh. never been one before. And it, it it's a major, major opera, big stage, big chorus. It, it premiered at Opera Colorado. I think, I believe it should be part of American repertoire. It's just wow. fabulous. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Very beautiful. Um, and at some point when I was writing Uncovered, I said to Lori, oh, I get it. You just wrote Scarlet Letter. This is another Scarlet Letter. And she said, well, yeah, in a way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I decided that, you know, I had to make it really clear that my story was not a Scarlet Letter. Why? Right. Because in Scarlet Letter and in Susanna, the woman is shamed and eventually runs away. Mm. And I left by choice. They right. Didn't right. It was irrelevant to me that they really, what happened is they found out about my affair. Okay. And the community. Okay. okay. I, I didn't recognize that. I don't care. I made that choice. I had the power of my body. Yeah. I, I reject them. That's the big difference. And yeah. Story ends very joyously because I had a, you know, I had a liberal artist mother who was going, it's a new world for women. And, you know, I can tell you outside the opera, when I called mom and said, mom, I'm leaving my husband. Don't worry. I'm taking my art and my cello. I play cello with me. Yes. I play very well. Um, <laughs> Better than me. That <laughs> story in history, especially for any Jewish parents ever, because she went, oh, my God, you're coming home. It was, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, right. my. Right. Right. 
So my story has this very joy. My oh. book has this very joyous ending. Just gave away the ending, but you know, my <laughs> life proves it. The ending. So what do I have to hide? Right. Yes, I didn't want this tragedy. A tragedy. I, you know, I wanted my story as an opera to stand in distinction from the two others in whose in whose footsteps you know uncovered follows artistically and Mm -hmm. the big 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 ending at the end of the opera has that confrontation the two lovers are on the stage the community discovers them they wow the the lights go dark and threatening and the 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 whole chorus is singing uncovered 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 (laughs) Um, they've been literally uncovered and leia says why yes uncovered and she pulls her scarf off in front of the man and reveals his hair, her hair, oh. over their eyes. I'm giving it away, but I don't care. And she pulls her skirt off and stamps <laughs> on underneath, you know, and she says, yes, uncovered. And wow. she's, oh, my gosh. She, 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 oh, my gosh. She walks quite brazenly, proudly past each one of them as they turn away. She t- takes her child like a suitcase and walks away. And wow. before the end of the end, before the end, she's gone. It ends with the community because they, they will never change. Hmm. Interesting. They exist smart to keep pre- prevent change. And wow. so they return to the song that was at the beginning. Wow. Uh, wow. To always repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat, repeat. Oh my goodness. I just got, I, I, I am kind of speechless. <laughs> what can I say? Um, and I'm, I have goosebumps and I am just so happy that we got to meet you. Um, I don't even, I've, yeah. And I feel, I feel like this, this is almost a good time to wrap up our convo just with the ending of what you just, what you just described to us. But as we sort of wrap everything up, I do want to know what can you lead us or leave us with that you are also working on because you're mentioning you're working on another book which is it finished did you say yeah it is finished okay Great. so what can we what else can we look forward to because for those of us that unfortunately can't make it to the live performance really wish we could how else can we support you and what else can we look for in your world well i i, I first have to say that none of that could have happened with just words on a page which is all i know how to do mm-hmm. yeah give it to two fine artists that turn into three dimension and sound Wow! And yeah. to read. I mean, what each, both of them did. And I watched it because I had many, many, many conferences is they read between the, the lines, mm-hmm. a, a composer hears the tone and the emotion in between the words and in between the lines. And that's mm-hmm. what they, 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 they hear music as pure emotion. And so right. she translated it directly into the language of emotion that she knows. And she caught it all. Lori would mm. call me and say, play me music and say, and sing it to me and say, is this how you felt? Wow. It was awesome. And then oh, Greenberg, who did the same thing, reading between the lines and calling me with the hardest of questions again and again and again, mm. until she could envision a three-dimensionality real people and sets and props and movement and dance unfolding on the stage because all I had given to her was a sheaf of papers with words on it. Nothing in the world like collaboration. There's nothing in the world like working together. That's Mm -hmm. how the biggest things happen. 
Yes. I had to end on that. And then <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what I'm doing next is um, I, before this project, I wrote a big opera called The Refuge for Houston Grand Opera. That was years ago. Sure. But um, I, I, I wrote it by go, traveling all over my city and listening to the uh, immigrants and refugees tell me their stories in depth at a time when I was new in the world and I was like an immigrant in my own society. And yeah. I felt I was just listening to try and get good material for the opera, but I quickly began to feel that they were leading me back into my own country, that this was a portrait of America, that they were showing me who we are now when I didn't know when that right. question was still in my head. And so, and the opera was like, crazy successful like big new york times review and npr exactly. national podcast like that level it was wow. Huge. um wow so i wrote when the uh, years later when my country started getting all xenophobic and crazy about immigrants mm -hmm. the thousand pages of transcripts that i had and i called through it and i wrote that story um letting um the, the people speak of their own stories in their own words, but it's my journey through their stories. Um, I it makes me delve it, it, it because in the process I re I came to a, a new understanding of what it is to be a hyphenated American. I delved into my Jewish identity, into the whole experience of inherited trauma, and I read right. my family's history and came to really understand why they were who they were and what had happened to me. Right. Um, and that's that, that book is called not from here, the song of America. It's uh, being published in 33 countries and it will be wow. summer next wow. summer. Okay. Oh my gosh. We might have to have you back in, in yeah. time for that. Cause that's very exciting. I can't wait yeah. to no, that. I was, oh I was going to say that it would be beneficial to have you come back if we, we would be so gracious to have some more of your time uh, when you do drop that. And we can help support and expand that to our other audiences that deserve to know what you're doing and why they need to know about it. I'd love to do that because I feel like with you guys, we can talk a lot about that. You know, it's just one of the things to me, the one closest to my heart, but that whole theme of like, how to be a Jew in a secular society and hold on to who you're you are. And yet this is it's you know, it's Western American culture that is our culture. Like yeah. Yeah, it's like I call it dancing on the hyphen because we, you know, <laughs> bad balance. Yes. I love that. I love that. Even when you were talking about being a hyphenated American, I just think that's such a great way to summarize in a way that it's tangible and digestible uh i'm very and i'm very creative with my use of words you can ask rachel as well with yes, that but i are. never <laughs> i've never actually said i'm a hyphenated whatever without labeling but helping with identity and mm -hmm. that's brilliant i'm gonna take a, a note <laughs> from you so thank you i usually get um Speechless. I was saying to Rachel, uh, you know, I've definitely <laughs> been speechless in this dialogue and I've never lost your words. So uh, thank you for <laughs> humoring my ignorance, which is something that I like to say. And uh, I am very grateful for your time and generosity and sharing so vulnerably and candidly, which is what we strive for on this podcast. So I really am I'm grateful for your time. But you had a lot to say. J just beware that if I come back, I'm going to have questions for you guys. <laughs> I, love I would love that. I would love that. I love well, that. That's your own sense of identity and how it's yes. 
what it is sure. to be a Jew. Yeah. yeah. For sure. We can do that in the second part. Now that we've established our rapport, that would be great. <laughs> I would equally love that. Was And the last thing, maybe I'll just say in regards to that too, about um, identity and, and being Jewish. I feel like um, the generations before us, like Hero and I being Holocaust uh, survivors, uh, grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, I feel like not until our generation have we really kind of cracked the egg open and really looked at it from a mental health perspective or standpoint. It hasn't wasn't really done. My my parents, my parents, obviously their their parents, like my dad was taught to push everything away, push it away, push it away. So it's almost like um here in my generation are the ones that are kind of left with dealing with it. Yeah. In a sense. I'm not trying to say woe is me. It's more just like because we're fact. finally we're finally living in a day and age where it's okay to openly talk about these things where um so it's kind of like we're finally now our generation is sort of like we're dealing with the fallout of all that stuff and it's it's almost like we're you know we're trying to be the voices and and deal with all the the pain and the suffering so that it doesn't continue on for more generations i so it's exact process in families no matter where they were from yeah from vietnam or india or nigeria or yeah central south america everybody had had trauma and loss and transitioned in one generation that generation repressed their stories because they wanted their children to feel safe the the first generation born here felt very securely american and didn't right. At the same time, knew not to ask questions, and it's yep. the children who either move out or say or or ask questions. Wait a minute, wait a minute, before I lose it completely. Yeah, what happened? It. I found this everywhere, and I began to understand how much of Jewish identity is really an immigrant thing. Interesting. Yeah, so many of the same values. I, we're getting off on new tangents. We are. Before we end, I want to say, look at my book on Amazon. It's called Uncovered, How I Left Hasidic Life and Finally Came Home by Leah Lacks. And if you are in the New York City area or anywhere near, look up City Lyric Opera and uh, look for the opera Uncovered. And come, come, come. If you do come, come and find me. You'll find me sitting in the back with probably with tears going down my face. Because I get to do that in the dark and deal with characters on stage named Leia and my mother who's deceased, et cetera, et cetera. And over and over again, see her leave for a new life with great strength and great joy. Oh, my gosh. I I, I hope you come. Don't hesitate to find me. And um, find me on Facebook. It's uh, it's my, my page is public so that people, anyone who wants can write and I answer everything because I do this to have conversations like this. I can't get enough of them. That's great. I do want to ask, dare I ask, are you on TikTok or Instagram? Instagram. Okay. And what is your handle on Instagram so people can find you, it's including just, us? It's just hashtag Leolax. Okay. I did. Fo- I, I followed Leah. <laughs> I did. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> and we'll, and we always make sure to put all that stuff in our show notes. So yes. it'll all be actually written out as well. So um, Leah, thank you 
from the bottom of my heart um, for Mm -hmm. just being so willing and giving us your time and break a leg. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Not my hands anymore, so I can just sit back and enjoy. Yeah, it. We're yeah. Sitting really working hard right now. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my Amazing. gosh! And we'll stay in touch for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay. okay. Well, nice. thank you. Take care. <laughs> Have a great night. Enjoy the rest Mom. of the runs. Hopefully, they're good. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saving me from that anxiety. You're welcome. Go Astros. (laughs) (laughs) Go Astros. (laughs) Awesome. Bye, Leah. Bye-bye.